Welcome to God's Love Revealed Podcast. I'm Ellie Caswell, along with Jeff Williamson, and I want to share with you how I went from self-punishment with no true identity to a mutual knowing with Christ and finding an eternal identity in Him. Jeff is a licensed professional counselor with a master's in marriage, family, and child therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. He has been in practice for over 20 years and specializes in intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy. God has taught him profound spiritual dynamics which have led believers to true freedom. It's our hope to reveal the truth, life, and freedom of God's love manifested through Jesus. Psychological, emotional, and spiritual freedom is possible through the true knowing of Christ. So this is our final Foundations episode. This is episode seven of our Foundations series. The point of these Foundations series is that the listener can go back at any time for our future podcasts, which are going to be more conversational between Ellie and I. These are going to be foundational concepts that we're going to reference. And so if the listener is listening to a, a podcast and feels they want the scriptural support to the things we're saying, we'll have that uh, clearly marked as the foundation series. God's love revealed through Jesus Christ. And here, what we want to highlight is the holiness of Jesus Christ. The holiness of Jesus Christ is a two-part holiness. He is the perfect high priest, the perfect head who can offer a sacrifice without being dragged out by his feet if he didn't offer it correctly or something like that, if he were to go into the holy holies, right? His holiness is a presentation of headship to the Father in the Holy of Holies, to the Father's holiness, to God's holiness. Jesus is the perfect atonement lamb. He is unblemished. He is unfallen. He is the perfect sacrifice that can be laid out in the Holy of Holies and satisfy the Father's holiness, which is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The Father's holiness is a problem. Because we are now blemished, we are now fallen, and we cannot abide in the Father's holy presence in an unfallen state. The perishable must put on the imperishable, as Paul says. So, the way back that Jesus Christ, the last Adam, made for his bride, the collective Eve, was to die for her, the wages, the penalty of sin, the natural punishment for sinning, is death. And we are blemished. So there must be a sacrifice that is unblemished, that is made on our behalf, so that all of humanity, the collective bride, can come back into the Father's holy presence and spend eternity with Him. Jesus Christ took care of all of that in the Holy of Holies. He took care of the holiness that is required. And the reason for that is Jesus is our head. If the head is holy, then the body is holy. And in fact, he gave up his flesh and blood, even his own body on our behalf. So we are laid down in death with him and we're raised up in life. The father Holiness is satisfied by the Holy Son when we believe in Him through salvation and faith 
and we are one with him. We are one with an unblemished head. We are made unblemished by our union with him. This is what satisfies the Father's holiness. This is why we can be in the Father's holy presence. We're going to go through this. Jesus is the way back to the Father. And we get to be glorified. One day we get to be made completely holy and we get to abide forever in God's presence once again. What was there in the beginning that Satan sowed to beguile Eve, make her a transgressor, and then Adam followed suit? Jesus, the last Adam, did not follow the bride into her death. He remained with the Father. He became the payment on our behalf for our transgression. And he is also the flesh, the blood that cleanses us, makes us whole, satisfies the Father's holiness. There is nothing more profound than what we're describing here today. And I love that you're putting such a focus on the holiness, not just of Jesus, but of God. And his work on the cross was not to reveal his wrath or to show us you know, how angry of a God he was towards sin, but really to highlight his perfection and his holiness and how in himself that was satisfied, that perfection, the perfect lamb, the perfect offering. Absolutely. To say that the wrath of God was satisfied, what's the line in, in Christ, Christ alone? alone? Yeah. Uh, what it has it go? Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Okay, that's not correct. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, God's holiness was satisfied. The wrath of God was not satisfied. The wrath of God is being stored up even to this day. The misunderstanding here is the wrath of God has to do with judgment. Mm. Judgment is on, is on an unbelieving World, It is on a rejecting of God world. God's wrath, and we can, you know, go to Bible verses that will actually state this, is reserved for those who reject mm-hmm. God. God's holiness is atoned for by an unblemished object on the behalf of another. We have never, ever seen God's wrath poured out on an atonement lamb. We have never seen God's wrath poured out on a high priest. Now, if the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies before Jesus and is not, doesn't do something correctly, yeah, but that's not the purpose of God's wrath is to pour it out onto the atonement offering. That is to satiate his holiness with unblemished on the part of the blemished. That's the point of the atonement. And let's just use logic. Where did we see your fire and brimstone and lightning bolts coming down from the sky onto Jesus Christ on the cross? We did not see that. That is not accurate. Which is kind of ironic that you have to go to a song. Isn't I mean, because people just kind of say that. There's no like biblical backup no. for that. No. Work. I went on the internet and I looked up and this person had all these different categories of the wrath of God. And there was one, the redemptive wrath of God. Okay. Let me, here's the verse that he put forward. If you could read that. Galatians chapter three, starting at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Where is the wrath of God mentioned? The curse has to do with the wages of sin, which is punishment. Jesus Christ took our punishment. The wages of sin, the punishment for our transgression is death. Jesus Christ paid that death. He, and you know, he is the eternal high priest. He offered himself up. He made that very clear. I offer up myself. So the high priest, the eternal high priest offered up himself the perfect atonement lamb. That's to satisfy God's holiness in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, which Jesus Christ did. So you could say, if we want to go back to male-female for a second, the high priest would be like the head, like in the previous podcast we said the plug, okay? You could say the body is the socket. Jesus Christ, in a sense, is both. He's the unblemished body, the unblemished lamb. He's the perfect socket. He's also the perfect plug. He's the perfect head. He's the perfect high priest. So, when the Father God looks on blemished plug Jeff and blemished socket Ellie, let's say, he doesn't see. It's like taking, so you're a cracked socket and you just take the socket covering of Jesus Christ unblemished, put it right over it. You take the cracked, broken, blemished plug of Jeff and you put a veneer right over it. That is Jesus Christ. And why does that work? Because we are one with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. When he died on our behalf, which is to fulfill the curse, it is to fulfill the punishment that is different than the wrath of God, then he is the perfect sacrifice to fulfill the requirement of God's holiness. You know, the only two... (laughs) <laughs> that are going to make it out of life in the holy holies of God's holiness is a perfect high priest and a perfect lamb. Mm-hmm. Jesus is both. Mm-hmm. Now, some would say, oh, how can you prove this, Jeff? You already prove it? I'll prove it. It's very simple to prove. Jesus Christ died on the cross. What happened after he died? The veil was torn. The veil was torn. The veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Anyone can enter now. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ can now enter. You think that was a coincidence? See, if the veil is torn, any of us can approach God's holiness. It's quite the opposite of the wrath of God. Right. It's the entrance the way back in. And it's not biblical to say that God's wrath was satisfied because God's wrath is being stored up even here right Right. now in judgment, Hebrews 12, against an unbelieving world. In that sense, unrighteous, not taking the free gift of Jesus Christ, the atonement lamb, and the perfect high priest. Uh, also, if Ellie, could you read First Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 25? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Returned. That was another verse that this person put forward as evidence of the wrath of God in a redemptive sense. Where is it stated in um, what you just read? Nowhere. You know, we're not reading our Bible. That, that has to do with coming back to God. And this one was the one that got me the most. This is the third one this person put. And this is in our churches everywhere, that the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. And again, we're going to go with logic here. If you could read John 3.16, they put down John 3.16 through 21 right, as evidence of God's wrath being satisfied on, on the cross in Jesus Christ's death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Wow. That's what they're putting forward as evidence of the wrath of God is satisfied? That God did not send the Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world? See, that the veil is torn is the whole point. That the perfect, unblemished Lamb in the Holy of Holies, in God's sight, delivered by the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, that holiness in the presence of a holy God tears the veil so that Eve, the bride, can come back, Mm -hmm. which is the whole point in the beginning that the last Adam would lay down his life, pay the punishment. That's true. We earned it. The wages of sin, that is punishment. We earn that punishment. That is not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is reserved for an unbelieving world that rejects Jesus Christ. That means we got to see fire and brimstone. We got to see stuff coming down up out of heaven. Who punished Jesus Christ? He was put on trial. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was ridiculed. And then he was crucified, which is punishment. Who did that? God or humanity? Humanity. Humanity. Now, did God allow it? Of course, God allowed it. But let's see why God allowed it. Let's be very clear here. He used evil for good. From the point of view of the Pharisees, they are killing him. They are punishing him. They are killing him. They're not saying, oh, wow, we figured this out. You know, here's the Lamb of God, and we're going to sacrifice him on the behalf of No, in fact, they're mocking him. They are killing him and punishing him. God allowed this punishment on our behalf, and he outsmarted Satan. And I'm going to show you how. God's just freaking amazing. Let's go to John chapter 11, verse 49 through 52. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. 
He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Amazing. God the Father is so awesome that he gets the temporal high priest. I have never put those together. Isn't it incredible? That's so cool. Yeah. God the Father lets the temporal high priest, not even knowing what he's saying, offer up our atonement lamb. This is Caiaphas, the high priest, saying this. Now, Jesus is our eternal high priest, Mm -hmm. and he offered up himself. But even in the temporal realm, God is is allowing the high priest to offer up our Redeemer. Mm -hmm. How awesome is the Father? And to prove this further... Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 41, where Jesus lays out exactly the intention of the Pharisees and the high priest. Again, this is Matthew chapter 21, 33 through 41. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to his tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent another servant more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance." And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. The intent of the Pharisees is to kill him. They see him as a blasphemer. They see him as blemished. Caiaphas, the high priest, is killing him. God the Father, what they meant for evil, God used for good. Also, if we could read Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. That curtain, that veil, was in the temple of God. It is the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy holies. Mm. That makes the way back for the bride, because the head laid down his life, the perfect high priest, but also laid down his very body on our behalf. That sacrifice, that atonement there in the Holy Holies, satiated God's holiness, if we want to put it that way. And then the the veil is torn. I think God knows what he's doing. If the veil is torn, then God is saying, my holiness is satisfied. Come in. Let's make sure that we're very, very clear of what Jesus Christ did for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He is the unblemished lamb, the sinless lamb that died for us, shed his blood, gave his life for his body, the church, for his Eve, the last Adam for his Eve. We are the transgressor. He is not. He died on our behalf. Since death cannot hold him, 
death has no claim on him. He's unblemished. The father was able to raise him up and bring us back his body into perfect oneness. And now, as we abide in the father's, in the God's presence, God's holy presence, God's holiness is not a problem for us. Mm. Remember in um, Exodus when uh, God made it very clear, Moses, you alone are coming up onto this mountain. If people try to follow, they're going to die. Why? Because God's holiness is there. Okay. And he's even permitting, honestly, Moses to even be in his presence, holy presence. Jesus Christ is the only one high priest and body that can go into that holy holies and satisfy that. And I'm just thinking like holiness, it's like perfection, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the beginning when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they aren't able to enjoy perfection anymore. It's not God's anger that casts them out of the garden. It's his perfection because they disobeyed him. That's right. And really now in their fallen state, God's holy presence could slay them. Even you could say almost unintentionally, like the father's like, (laughs) tell them to stay off the mountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's trying to protect them Mm -hmm. from his holy presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could you read Romans 8? One through four. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I don't think it could be any more clear than that. Let's try this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. To obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. Wrath Hebrews 12, we could read it if we want, or listener, you can look it up. Wrath is stored up for those who reject God, in that sense, unrighteous. Um, The other one, I'm just going to put these out because I know there's going to be people objecting. They're going to say, what about Isaiah 53? Do you mind reading Isaiah 53? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation whom considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, 
and with a rich man in his death, although he had no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Ah, that last line again. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Intercession. Mm. Intercession. Yes, God allowed him to be bruised. God allowed, as we read, God allowed evil to play out. We're going to kill him. We're going to punish him. We're going to mock him. But they're actually offering up the sacrificial lamb, the high priest, the temporal high priest. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, people. I mean, that she didn't make you laugh or cry how awesome the father is. Mm -hmm. The high priest offers up our atonement lamb thinking he's doing good by killing him, Mm -hmm. a blasphemer. Right. It tears the veil so the bride can come back in, Eve can come back in, the last Adam paid the price. Yes, he was punished, but he was not punished by God. He took the punishment that we deserve. There is no evidence that God, you know, punished him. You know, there was no lightning strike. There was no nothing. It was that the hands of humanity and these brood of vipers, there's enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, the head and the body. The enmity played out, but God outsmarted Satan. The wrath of God has to do with judgment. God's judgment is not satisfied. It is being stored up. God's holiness in the holy of holies is satisfied by a holy high priest and a holy lamb. God's punishment is earned by humanity, all of us, us transgressors. We earned it. We earned that punishment. Punishment is not the same as judgment. Mm. And also, furthermore, God's punishment is not being punitive. The devil is the accuser. The devil is punitive. We are not to be punitive. Jesus says, ye without sin cast the first stone. The stone is the punishment. We are not to be punitive. Um, In your anger, do not sin. Don't call somebody so much as a fool. Why is that? Because you're being punitive. Punitive is not okay. Christ came to take our punishment. We should not be being punitive, especially as believers. You know, and we are incredibly punitive. Our history in the church is unbelievably punitive. The Inquisition, we're hypocrites, we're judging How can we justify being punitive when our Lord God came to take our punishment? Mm. God disciplines those he loves. He punishes those he loves, but he's not punitive. We cannot justify being punitive. You know, when Jesus says, when they smack you on the cheek, turn the other, this isn't how to be a doormat people. It's saying when they punish you, don't punish back. Let them punish you because the vengeance is mine. 
The judgment is mine. The wrath is mine. It is being stored up against all of this. All of this rejection, all of this enmity of Satan's seed against God's seed. Other one we must read because I know people are going to put it forward. I know they are. Psalm 22. If you could read 1 through 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you, who are he who took me from the womb, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, and company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Jesus Christ said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to reference this scripture? Mm -hmm. That's why he said it. He it is not that God had to look away because Jesus is carrying all of our sin. I mean, okay, if you're going to make that argument, church, where's the scripture to support that? We can't just take a line from uh, a hymn, well-intentioned hymn, and just say that scripture. Okay? Like, that he's referencing it because they are killing the king of the Jews. They are killing the Davidic line. Okay? They, they got so upset when they inscribed, you know, the king of the Jews. He's referencing it because he is the king of mm. the Jews. That's why they all knew why he was referencing that. That's, that's why he said that. God the Father very much looked upon this atonement lamb. When Jesus is on that cross, from God's point of view, he is on the altar in the Holy of Holies. From humanity's point of view, from evil's point of view, they are crucifying, punishing Jesus Christ. Not from God's point of view. From God's point of view, the high priest is offered up, even Jesus Christ, the eternal high priest, has offered up himself. What God sees from his perspective is an unblemished lamb on the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. How, is, how can I prove this? Because the veil is torn in the temple. So God is very much looking with pleasure upon this holy sacrifice. And I'm sure tears because God was angry. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
It's twofold. But from the Father's point of view, this is a perfect sacrifice so that we can come back to be in the Father's holy presence, which would consume us, not in wrath, but in holiness. So you wouldn't necessarily say that God offered up his son. Well, you would still say that, but he just used human beings. I, that's that. a great question. I think God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, I mean, this that was his plan from the beginning. That's his plan from the very beginning. Yeah, like we said in the very f- first one or maybe the second, you know, I can't remember. But what would have happened if Eve transgressed and Adam didn't? Adam would have gone back to the father and said, what's the plan, father? I didn't eat of it. What's the plan? Son, well done for obediently staying with me. Because you're unblemished, you can die on her behalf. She's blemished. And because you're one, I can raise you up out of death because it can't hold you. It has no claim on you. So once you atone for her transgression, that she will be raised up with you. And there's an incredible verse, prophecy, uh, that we should read to show this. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Did you hear it? Verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. Mm -hmm. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Is that not what he did on the cross? Exactly. That the last Adam came, paid the penalty. That's not the wrath of God. The penalty, the punishment, there is therefore no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus paid the price, which is death. We are raised up with him, that we can come right through the torn veil into God's holy presence, even approaching the throne boldly, that we can be with God forever. This is the way. This is the only way. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the shepherd. I am the door. You know, Jesus Christ is this amazing, amazing member of the Godhead because Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest and he is the perfect sacrificial atonement. Jesus Christ is the shepherd and he's the lamb. Jesus Christ is the head and the body broken and poured out for us. Jesus Christ knew no sin, and he became sin on our behalf. See, Jesus Christ fulfills everything that is needed in that Holy of Holies. And I just think that it's just so incredible that the Father God even used the temporal realm, even the temporal high priest, to carry that out in perfect fulfillment. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like God's redemption left no stone unturned. Mm. There could be no argument from Satan. You know, maybe Satan would say, well, you know, Jesus, the eternal high priest laid down his own life, you know, but I had no part in it. You know, the high priest in the temporal realm uh, didn't do it. Oh, but he did. And he even not knowing better, 
He said it himself. We get, we'll finish with that one. Let's read that one more time. Um, what was that? John chapter 11, verse 49 through 52. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast to be insightful, please subscribe to our show and share with someone who would enjoy listening. And we look forward to meeting here with you again soon.